This is your host, Josh Sharp, and welcome to New Hope's Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we get a chance to talk about what didn't make it into the sermon this week and what our speaker would have liked more time to engage with. We'll also go over some questions that you might have had and generally just have a good time talking about what was on our speaker's mind. Today, we're here with John Rosenstiel and special guest Hakeem Bradley to talk about the sermon, Does Christianity Oppose Diversity? From the current sermon series, 10 Questions, Exploring Barriers to Our Faith. Well, uh, thanks for uh, joining us on the cutting room floor. Uh, Thank you, Josh. Thanks for being here, John, <laughs> as I've seen you on computer today. I don't think I've seen you in person oh, yet yeah, today. Yeah. So we also have a special guest with us here today, Hakeem Bradley. How are you doing? How's it going, man? I can't complain. You uh, you breathing. came out of nowhere for this one, so thank you. This is true. <laughs> this, is, this is very true. Yeah, so, so what you mean by context. that, Josh, yeah. is we were, we were discussing uh, the obvious reality that we're talking about racial diversity and diversity in the church, mm. um, and we're two white dudes. Yeah, and, we and just didn't really that's, that's, fill this out We talked well. about blind spots, and that was, that's a blind spot, so... Um, yeah, we have some friends uh, that know Hakeem well, and we were just talking all the different ways we, mm. we know you. And um, so you you lovingly and graciously agreed to be here uh, to bring much-needed perspective. So we're, yeah. we're grateful. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate the invitation. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. You know, I, lo- I love being able, one, to meet siblings in the faith mm. that I don't get to cross paths with often, you know, and being able to see what God is doing in the city at large, at different churches, just tapping in online to what you talked about on Sunday was super helpful for me yeah. just to be like, oh, yeah, uh, God is everywhere in Portland. Yeah. <laughs> Not in just the specific space that I've, uh, specific spaces that I've had the privilege of being a part of. He's everywhere. Um, so, yeah, I'm just grateful to be here. That's all I'm really trying to say. Well, thanks, man. Thank yeah. you for being here. Now that sure. we have your phone number, we're going to be texting you all the time. You want to <laughs> hang out? You want to hang out? Be like that, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now that said, Hakeem, uh, with our listeners and our, our church here, uh, we don't know you that well. I got a chance through listening to some of your bio earlier and I just, man, that was awesome. Can mm-hmm. you give us a rundown of your life and, and let us get to know you a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Man, the question is where do I start? Okay. Let me just start currently. <laughs> um, I have a wife named Jasmine. We've been married for almost five years, five years in June. Team longevity, right? right? Hey. Congrats. <laughs> We're pushing. Uh, we have a two-year-old son named Ezekiel, and we have one on the way. I don't know if it's a boy or girl yet, but I'm excited for either way. All right, Hoping all right. it's a girl, though. Just throwing that out there. Um, but I'm originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So I'm a diehard Eagles, Sixers, Phillies, Flyers, whatever you name. Bro, bro, now we got to <laughs> now. Uh-oh. I'm this a Cowboy fan. I done, I, I done cracked open a can. Dude, now, now, now I'm really distracted. I'm kind of hot and bothered over here. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. Listen. Bro, I love you anyway. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach across that wide, wide divide yeah. between Cowboys and Eagles fans. Oh, there man. is neither Eagle nor Cowboy in Christ. <laughs> I, I will be honest, at least right now, as best I can read it, you guys had a better draft. And so I just, I want to, I want to admit that. I hope I'm wrong, but I want to, you got to get us back on track. Yeah. It. Yeah. I mean, I'll let you guys do it. I'm sure people get a good laugh out of your sadness in the Cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It happens. I've been trusting processes everywhere. So I understand the struggle. Yeah. But born and raised in Philadelphia, moved to Portland in 2008, August right. of 2008. So that's almost 14 years. Oh, man. Wow. Um, moved out here with my mom and one of my siblings. Uh, came from a home that's a variety of things. Uh, my parents weren't married, born to a teenage mom in a predominantly black space. 
it was economically poor. A lot of typical, like, stereotypical things that seem to be talked about. But statistics clearly didn't determine the person I'd become. Yeah, or, you also, and I, I caught this in your bio from yeah. the other podcast I was listening to, the religious upbringing. Oh, yeah, I was just about to hit that. Well, yeah, yes. that that was yes. interesting, man. I got so many questions I can't even do now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in a, in a black identity cult called the 5% Nation, but it's also called the Nation of Gods and Earths. So if I can just give you like a little synopsis of what this whole thing is about. You familiar with the Nation of Islam? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's an offshoot of that. So the Nation of Islam is booming in the civil rights era. Um, and there's a guy named Clarence who goes by Clarence 13X. And he says, the nation isn't taking it far enough. Not only are white people devils and all of that stuff, but like black people are, particularly black men, are like Allah incarnate. And black women are like earths. So when you put gods and earths together, that's how humanity came about. Mm. So we are the original peoples of the earth. There's a supreme mathematics. So one or zero to nine all has a particular meaning. Oh, wow. Um, and then there's the supreme alphabet. So if you listen to rap groups in the 90s, all of this is kind of infiltrating a lot of those different groups and rappers like Wu-Tang Clan, if you listen to Diggable Planets, I could just go on and on and on. Man, I will never listen to but, the same now. Like, I'll, I will have to have you with me to educate listen, me along the way, man. If you pay attention <laughs> to what they're reciting, a lot of the times, a lot of 90s hip-hop groups, as I'm thinking about it, especially conscious, more conscious, not like all the, you know, rah-rah, but more of the folks that are talking about things going on in their neighborhoods, a lot of their worldview is being shaped by this movement mm. that's been transpiring for the last 30 years at that point. Wow. So I grew up in that. My dad got um, pretty swooned up, and he met my mom. They were two young folks, a lot of, you know, impressionability and all of that stuff, and then I came up in that. So I'm being taught, you got to recite the supreme mathematics. What does one mean? What does two mean? Seven means like God. I think one means knowledge. Three means understanding. Uh, it's a whole lot. So I don't remember wow. all of it, wow. but I grew up in all of that. So my uh, disposition – towards Christianity or the way of Jesus, whatever you want to call it, is that this is a white man's religion. Mm. So when I was listening to your teaching, I'm like, oh, man, this is this is my life. <laughs> <laughs> and all I knew was all of the media that I would see that is Christian-based, I see a bunch of white Jesuses, even in black churches when I would go with a relative to church, which had its own situations, um, I would see that. I would see movies, artwork. Everything was just a bunch of Europeans. And I'm like, yeah, this has nothing to do with the people groups that I come from. So why get involved? But once my parents split, uh, my dad continued down that path. But my mom rooted. Uh, she went back to her roots of being a Christian. Um, and I just said, there's something off about what I'm learning and what I'm being taught to believe. So I think I want to become a Christian. But the reasons why I wanted to become a Christian was for uh, I laugh at it now. I wanted to eat Skittles. Like, I couldn't eat Skittles because they got gelatin in them, and gelatin comes from pork. So the the 5% the nation kind of has somewhat of an Islamic bent to it. Okay, okay I can see that. traditional Muslims wouldn't consider that to be traditional Islam or Islam at all. So that's like a yeah. general synopsis yeah. of what I grew up in. I'm, <laughs> it's I'm, crazy I'm just, laughing at I'm it I'm still now. stuck on uh, the, that Skittles have pork in them. I'm just like, I, I'm now I'm At least like, that's what I was taught. We would read I'm the like, back of packets, like Starburst. I, I believe you. I mean, and I was just yeah. like, man, I can't eat candy? Like, what am I supposed to do? Man, I don't know, son. You got to figure there, out something there else. There are things to convert over. <laughs> I was like, Skittles is one of them. Bacon is Skittles. another one. I need to get out of this. <laughs> 
But that's what I grew up in. And a lot of my relatives were also formed and shaped by this belief system. And honestly, it, it came out of a response to racism in the civil rights era. So yeah. I understand why something like this would come about to affirm and um, make give, give an opportunity for black people to feel a sense of worth and identity and collectivism. Yet at the same time, it's an extreme against another form of extremism. So yeah. it doesn't yeah. solve anything. Yeah. And I think it's led to a lot of misunderstandings about the way of Jesus. Now, you move to Portland yep. and you get here and you go on this journey relatively quick from what I gathered within mm -hmm. a few years of becoming a Christian. Yeah. Um, and then one day, uh, I believe your youth pastor was like, hey, go, go teach. Uh, we want you to teach youth group. <laughs> you're like, I, I don't know. Like, all right. And so you go do that. And the end yeah. of that, you're just like, yep, I'm just going to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I moved to Portland and the irony is I got here and I met a couple friends and I started to attend predominantly black churches in the city, like Highland Christian Center on like 82nd and Gleason uh, or somewhere over there. And I was just like, all right, cool. Like, this is kind of what I, I want to get involved in, but I don't come necessarily from this tradition. So I don't know. And plus, at the time, I lived in uh, Beaverton. So I lived pretty much in every space in Portland except Northwest. Um, but I, I moved to Beaverton. So I'm out there, and I'm like, all right, well, what would it look like to just go to a church out here? So I get invited by a friend my junior year, but this is after me starting to be a part of Young Life at the time. And the irony is I grew up believing that you know, the way of Jesus is a white man's religion, but yet I came to faith in a predominantly white context, which was hilarious because I'm like, okay, God had to break my preconceived notions about white people and my, my actual racial biases against white people and then actually display that together we actually create a more beautiful picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But that had to happen through me attending or being a part of Young Life then going to what was formerly Solid Rock, but is now West Side of Jesus Church and Bridgetown and all of that stuff. So, again, I come to faith my junior year of high school. Then I start going to Solid Rock, jump, as you just said, jumping to the youth group. And my youth pastor's name was Jesse Richards. And I'll never forget this. I think I was 17, going on 18. And he's like, yo, man, um, you should teach next Wednesday. I'm like, wait, what? Teach who? <laughs> and he's like, teach your peers. And I'm like, teach them what? And he was like, all right, well, next week is MLK uh, Day. So we're going to talk about racism, <laughs> Jesus, and, you know, the church. And I just was like, bro. give you an uh, easy one. <laughs> wait, start, let's just start off with a bang. <laughs> but the thing is, man, I got into it, and I'm, like, looking at these notes that he helped prepare. And I'm like, what, what am I doing? I just got into this. But yet I felt a deep conviction about what I was reading on that paper and even in my own experience that I said, okay, I'm down. I guess I'll do it. Terrified. Like, I hated public speaking. But yet I'm up there. I remember my outfit to this day. I had a black hoodie, some jeans, and some white Air Force Ones. And I'm trying not to trip over myself. The lights are super bright in my eyes. And I'm freaking out. Yet, there was something so compelling about seeing what I was saying actually resonate with my mm -hmm. peers. And I'm actually paying attention. And I said, there's something about communicating about Jesus that I, I think I want to do. Mm. So from there, it just was a journey. I was 17 and been teaching and preaching ever since. <laughs> so That's awesome, man. That's the gist, that's man. That's awesome. Does all that make sense? It does, man. Thanks yeah. for telling us. I know that's just like uh, the very surface of the story, but it's man. helpful. And thanks for that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely gives us some context and things. And thanks yeah. for letting us all get to know you in that sense. For sure.
Um, now, as what we're here for and uh, in the grand scheme, John, we've got to do a quick flyby of the sermon this week before we get into what quick hit the floor. Quick is the key, right? But you told quick, me i got to yeah. be more concise. <laughs> <laughs> Quicker than last so, time. So, yeah, so we're, uh, we're on question two of the series, which I think is in question two of Rebecca's book, which hopefully you're all, all yep. reading. I recommend it. Uh, Does Christianity oppose... Diversity. So as Hakeem said, the way uh, I framed it was that for a lot of people, um, I think it's a misnomer, but uh, certainly a felt perception that Christianity, at least how it's uh, practiced in, in America and in the Western part, Western hemisphere is a white man's religion. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll deal with the man part later in the series. We're going to deal, uh, ladies, so just be, be patient. Uh, we'll get there. But, um, and so I think as Hakeem, as you said, well, I think they're there, especially for someone like yourself, a man of color that is entering a white space, there, mm-hmm. there is that barrier. But as you know better than me, the black church in America is thriving and yeah. the Hispanic church in America is thriving. So I think for folks of color that grew up in that heritage, maybe that's not much of an issue, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they know that the, the white people are doing their thing at their churches and yeah. sometimes it's strange, stuff like yeah. that. But I think for some people that grow, that are people of color that grow up in cities that are more white, that mm-hmm. that is an issue. But I think it's also a barrier for um, white folks who have been awakened mm-hmm. to the reality of uh, racial justice and been kind of invited into that story or, or drawn yeah. into it through headlines. And they've grown up in white spaces and white churches that see maybe an apathy towards that conversation. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking, huh. You know, can this work? Yeah. Can I can I follow Jesus mm. and care about these things? So I think that that's kind of what we were we were going at. And um, yeah, I mean, it was a long sermon. Listen to it. I, I tried to build a biblical case mm. from beginning to end that this wasn't kind of a later add-on addition, yeah. but it was woven into the very fabric of uh, God's imagination when he's creating the redemptive plan. Like, how is God going to fix the world? So we spent both a lot of time in the text, going from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, mm. uh, showing that was God's plan from beginning to end. And then we, we, we spent a considerable amount of time historically looking at the rise of Christianity, yeah. um, not only going back to the patriarchs, two of the t- 12 tribes being half African, but the early church from, you know, Pentecost to on, especially the prevalence of followers of Jesus from North Africa uh, and, and India and on and on. So it's, again, we ha- also have a misnomer historically, and we could talk, we can maybe get into the cutting room floor question on this, but yeah. we could talk all day long about this idea of how we think that the Europeans who, one, weren't all white, but that's a whole other topic, right. <laughs> but that the Europeans brought Christianity with force, you know, and that is true yeah. To, yeah. to some degree, mm. um, but that that's the way the gospel got to India or mm. Africa, mm. and it's just simply not true. Mm. And so I think, one, it, it should cause curiosity for people to lean in and be like, hmm, tell me more. I need to be schooled in that. Mm. So yeah, so we started getting that and then we brought it into some practical steps at the end where I was challenging everyone, principally two things, that we should uh, seek and celebrate diversity. So when we see these conversations going on, we have opportunities to get to know people that don't look like us, think like us, act like us. We should feel compelled because that's what the table in the kingdom of God will look like. So I don't want to get there and be like, "Ah, this is alien. I don't know what this is. I want to start practicing that now because I think it'll be a more beautiful church. And then two, I talked about praying, Uh, praying for our brothers and sisters 
all over the world because uh, yeah. the church is, we spent a, a considerable amount of time talking about how the church is exploding in the Southern Hemisphere, which is, I think, one of the great untold stories presently. And you that preaching. we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters all over the world. So. I have a question. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was listening, man, and I, th- I think you did a great job of looking uh, biblically of the trajectory of God's diversification of peoples. What do you think about Genesis 1 mm-hmm. actually being the starting point? Like when I think about um, his creation of humanity, this is me kind of flying off the dome, so just yeah, yeah. bear with me. Yeah. Uh, his creation of humanity, what does he tell them to do? He's like, all right. Y'all, have kids, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. The filling the earth, it's kind of like when you spread, this is just what happens naturally when people spread, like new cultures form, mm-hmm. yep. new ethnicities form. And like I, I've had conversations where um, Genesis 11, the Babel event, yeah. seems to be told as if like, oh, that's the beginning of God's you know, scatterings of the people. It's just like, no, his intention was already established in Genesis 1. It's just that the humans said, no, nah, we're going to do our own thing, stay in one place. And God's like, no, I'm going to accomplish what I wanted to do from the get-go. Um, so I'm curious, what do you think about Genesis 1 being the starting place? And I agree, though, Genesis 12 is yeah. foundationally like a, a pillar of God's redemptive plan and a humongous starting yeah. place. <laughs> I would, I'm just curious. Not to punt on that question, but I would, you know, you you do uh, some work with Bible projects. So mm-hmm. our friend Tim has, yeah. you guys have done some great work on Genesis 1 through 11, which we could quickly spend hours on that and probably oh, get ourselves man. in deep trouble also <laughs> with people. But We're going to go down a rabbit hole with that right. one. That's <laughs> right. So I think, you know, to answer that accurately, I think there's a lot of complexities, which Tim talks about a lot and Bible mm-hmm. Project does, and some things that he doesn't know and we're trying to explore. So I think there's yeah. way more going on yeah. in those early chapters than we than we could even conceive. Yeah. And I just, you know, so I would say, yes, I think, I think that obviously if it's in God's heart as he kind of launched it on the page in Genesis 12 through that covenant, mm. it's in God's heart. It, it was there the whole time, right? Sure. So as he's creating out of dust, that's, that's in his creative imagination. Yeah. And also, right, I mean, you, you probably bring a totally different mental aspect to this when you think about it. And I don't want to speak for Josh, but I think for a lot of us that grew up in the church and did like flannel board Sunday school kind of stuff. I still miss it. <laughs> you still you're like I'm the half falling off during the, the teaching, flannel. like the, the, the heads falling off and all the kids are laughing and really serious. Anyway, I mean, Adam and Eve are as white as can be in all those yeah. things, right? Yeah. Who's to say that? That's the case, right? Yeah. Why do we Why do we perceive that like in all mm. likelihood, knowing where that area of the world is, that's not at all true. Mm. So again, I think from our listeners out there that come from a white majority world is how I explain my upbringing. Yeah. No shame, not trying to hate on anybody, just no owning that reality. Yeah. The things we just p- put on the text and the way we imagine, and I think one of my hopes out of this message and this conversation today is to spur imaginations yeah. and to have us think differently. And that's what you did with that question. I think people go back to Adam and Eve and be like, huh, let me think n- differently than mm. the box I've had these stories in. Yeah. And I think if we can start with that idea that in our Father's heart— is a God who wants, uh, is creating a very diverse group of people mm-hmm. that don't inhabit his kingdom. Yeah. And that's amazing. And we should want that and celebrate that. And, you know, so, yeah, if you're, if you're out there and you're not praying for people around the world and praying for your brothers and sisters, even in this city, you know, one of the practices I have, I know I've talked about it, our church is trying to pray around the different churches that I can think of on a Sunday morning as mm-hmm. I'm lying in bed and getting ready. And yeah, it's like yeah. getting to know more and more churches and more and more pastors and men and women of color and brothers and sisters of di- diversity. It's so beautiful. I kind of get a smile on my face as I go around the city 
and think what the Spirit of God's going to do yeah. that day. You know, it's beautiful. That, that wasn't concise, was it? Uh, he, Hakeem it was got me distracted yeah, like it was with a the question. question. He, yeah. got, he asked me, and <laughs> I, I, I get extra time for that. I could like, definitely see it. I got you, man. If you need more time, just ask me to ask you a question. I, I got you. A sense of understanding. <laughs> All right, so we we've covered that uh, sermon and then some at this point, which is great. Um, now, John, uh, as usual, the big question is: What hit the cutting room floor this last week? Um, and this is kind of where we get into this. Uh, Hakeem, again, feel feel free to interject, man, because um, this is like, yeah, everyone prepares a sermon. But what didn't quite make it in? Mm-hmm. Like we just don't have time to cover everything. Yeah, yeah. I think this is where the podcast could just to- go totally off the rails. So all, all fair warning. But um, I mean, I'm going to talk in two weeks. Coming, uh, our friend Nije is going to speak this week on on taking the Bible seriously, and that's going to be amazing. And yeah. so um, after that, I'm going to go back to looking at the question: Does the Bible condone slavery? So we'll, we'll be coming back to. It's a different angle on this conversation, but an important one, I think. And yeah. so that's coming in a couple of weeks. But I think is one of the, a lot of the things that hit the cutting room floor were were issues that, and I touched on a lot of nerves on Sunday, and hopefully did it tenderly and lovingly. But we want to be a church that has open conversations, and I think two of the things that I, I came close to mention but knew we just go down a deep, dark rabbit hole mm. um, was this idea of CRT. It's out there. <laughs> oh, man, and, I haven't and, heard of that in a minute. It's been a while. So, yeah. so, and again, I don't want anybody to get distracted and this and that. And I saw a graph recently that um, the CRT has been around, I think, since the 70s. So it's a, it's a legal theory um, mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a broader theory of critical theories. So it's a whole family of critical theories, how to see the world and think about the world. Critical race theory was a, a legal theory that, mm-hmm. that went really narrowly to how people of color were treated. You know, I'm, 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 very, I'm simplifying it for those who are yeah. academics out there, but for mm-hmm. our audience, that, that's what it was. So it's been around for several decades in very, very small, nerdy societies places, right? And uh, not to say it was unimportant. And so if you look at the Google searches for critical race theory for like 20 years, it was nothing. There was no uptick. Like, and then all of a sudden, about two years ago, it just shot through the roof. Crazy. So I don't want to get, we don't have time today to get into this. And I do want to give you space to, 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 to touch upon it, Hakeem, but I would point people, I put in the resource uh, list an article by David French, um, who wrote recently about it. I and, love David yeah, French. Yeah, and, and a podcast. And so I thought David French, as he often does, dealt with it fairly. He's he's a lawyer, and so he dealt with that part of it. His The podcast is really excellent. It gets pretty nerdy, but I think it's helpful. That's cool. But I think for me, it just showed how so many of us are getting played. And I would just say this with mm-hmm. love to our listeners out there. Don't get played. Um, and, and both both extremes can do it. The right extreme and the left extreme can mm-hmm. do it equally. Yeah. Be have a have a, a mind that's focused on Jesus and centered on truth. And I think we have French in that article talks about uh, how some political agitators decided to take this term and make it basically a junk drawer for anything. Mm-hmm. And so that anytime any racial conversations come up, they would attach to this critical race theory and say that you're becoming communist and socialist and you're just taking America you know, yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. So I would just say, I, we don't have time today to, to do it justice. <laughs> Read the article, 
read the podcast, but I thought about touching all that, and I was like, no, like that's that would not <laughs> that that doesn't that didn't serve the main purpose of the sermon. Yeah. But I think it is whenever we start talking about right now, that term comes up. Please, followers of Jesus, don't get distracted politically and allow that to stymie what was going on in your hearts when you were listening to the message Sunday, I hope. Yeah. Um, so don't get distracted that. Do you want to... <laughs> oh, man. you have anything to add to that? I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that's it's unfair to put you in that position, but okay. I mean, feel free to like, you know, I guess in a concise way, uh, anything you want to add to that. I don't want to have, I have a, a really thoughtful, brilliant man of color here mention critical race theory and move on. So, Keem, do you want to correct anything? I have I said no I, I just I'll just keep this short simple and sweet yeah I think the moment you take critical race theory out of its legal realm it's no longer critical race theory yeah correct. so it's something else and I think that's exactly what has happened in politics um and again if you are interested in learning about critical race theory like actually read primary sources yeah it's like you okay let me, let me just keep that there <laughs> just read primary sources and I I've had plenty of conversations in the last two years with folks in and outside of the church about CRT. Nevertheless, most of the time, if I said, can you name me an actual critical race theorist and a body of work that they've written on? It's rare that I actually encounter somebody who says, yeah, okay, and this is what I read, and here's a synopsis. And I'm like, why did I have to become a a day-to-day expert in critical race theory to talk about just ethnic relations in the church? I'm just like, no, those two things are different. We're on yes. different scales right now. Um, so I'm going to just leave that there. Yeah, and that, I, I want to <laughs> emphasize that point. That That's essentially what I think we're both trying to say. Don't let the two things conflate mm-hmm. and, and allow us to get distracted. So yeah. the idea of racism historically, present-day racism, racial injustice, all these things that I was calling us to consider as followers of Jesus towards a more beautiful church— mm-hmm. Yes, at times, could there be critical race theorists that are, you know, extreme and saying crazy things? Of course. Absolutely. Of course. We're saying that. <laughs> but I think to, to say that it, here's, a, here's a way I've said it in very simply to people over coffee. You know, anybody that says that uh, racial justice and race and the color skin is everything mm-hmm. is wrong. That's becoming idolatry. That's becoming yeah. identity politics. Absolutely. identity. But also people who say it's nothing. Right. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're, we're caught in those crazy extremes where most of us in the middle saying, I just want to figure this out and follow Jesus and bring beauty to the world. So just don't get distracted. Learn about it before you tweet about it. (laughs) Please stay off Twitter. (laughs) Please stay off Twitter. The other thing, and I I know I'm opening up huge, (laughs) but I think this is a corollary. Um, We are um, one of the most individualistic societies and nations that have ever existed in the history of the world, yeah. right? And there's beauty there, you know, pulling up yourself by your bootstraps, all that kind of stuff that I don't want to, I'm not trying to demean that aspect of it. Yeah. But uh, the Bible is incredibly communal and the way of Jesus is incredibly communal. And I think we bring that to our, our thinking regarding racial justice. And this is how it may look. Hmm. I'm not a racist. <laughs> I got I got a black friend, you know. I care I care about those things. I'm doing good. I've earned my way. I've worked hard. Don't tell me I don't work hard. Yeah, I'll, fine. Yeah, I, I, but don't allow that to be an excuse to look at the collective, right? Journey we're in, not only as a nation but as a church. Yeah. And so uh, there's a there's a writer Isabel Wilkerson. She's a historian. She wrote this book called Cast, which I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. She has this great analogy at the beginning that is just hung with me, and she talks about. 
um, buying a used house one time. And when she bought the used house, when she bought it, she became the owner of the house. And of course, the house was like 50 years old. And it had some things that were wonky, yeah. <laughs> that were breaking down, that they're like, why did they Why did they do that? Why did they build it this but way? the hallway's smaller? Because I've just come to that conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> hallway smaller. <laughs> I mean, even, right, there's things leaking. There's, there's like, you know, people that repaired things in the past but didn't do it well, right? Well, it's your house, mm-hmm. right? And I would just say that to, to all of us that are in the church, all of us who are Americans, we all love our country. It's our house, yeah. right? It's our house. We own it. And I don't think it helps much to go back and say who did what and who broke what and who, I mean, maybe to some degree, but we own the house. And followers of Jesus should be like, all right, let's roll up our shirt sleeves and by the grace of God, for the sake of the world, let's make a difference and let's, let's repair and let's fix and let's yeah. heal. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's the other area I thought about going to. And it's just a very complex, deeply American thing where people don't hear it and see. And I would just say, do some work out there looking at the plurals in scripture, mm. looking at the communal aspect of scripture. And that is applied to sin. There are individual sins. There's ways I sin for sure. And I know Josh sins and <laughs> I don't know about you, Hakeem, but you know, there's, there's yes, sins I'm we commit, you. right? We yeah. could all talk to our spouses. They would be like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. But then there are collective, there is collective sin. There is collective brokenness that mm. the Bible talks about a lot. Yeah. And both are true. And yeah. we're called to, to heal both. So, Again, huge topic, yeah. but I thought about going there. I was like, oh, it's already like a 43-minute sermon or whatever. I don't have time, but you asked the cutting room floor question. Yeah, yeah. No, Anything you want to say about the, the individual communal? I think about that a lot. I, I'm blinded by that. I grew yeah. up, and that's another one of my blind spots. Like, yeah. I don't see that. Yeah. I think that house analogy is super helpful for helping people that are being caught up in all the noise that we were kind of talking about and everything else. Like, that house analogy to me was like, oh, man. Yeah, that's something I could spell out for somebody. Mm. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I, I also, in addition, like even when you read the Hebrew Bible, right? When when God is casting judgment on Israel, it's most of the time on the collective. Yeah. yeah. And it's like he's holding the the people accountable. When one of y'all jacks up, that impacts the whole. It's like that's why Jesus in the uh I'm blinking specifically on where he says stuff like this, but that little piece of leaven or the yeast, it like, it makes the whole bread. You get them? I forget. I'm blanking. And that's yeah, like, I don't know what I'm too. talking about in the scriptures. But or, or sins passed on th- to three generations. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and there's so a, yeah. there's a collective yeah. aspect to it. Yes. And I mean, even if we just think at society as a whole, to think that individuals who are sinful and, and do sinful things can't impact societal and structural things. Like, where does, where does the buck stop as far as how far sin impacts something? You know what I mean? So, it's a lot to unpack there, but I just will just say that, you know? Yeah, Not to say that he didn't hold individuals um, accountable in, in the Hebrew Bible, because you can read stories about that. But it's a both and, not an either or, yep. you know? Yep. Yes. And again, not going to one extreme. And, you know, our friend Tim does such a great job talking about the word justice and making right and righteousness. Mm-hmm. And, like, I just want a church. I want to be the type of believer that when I see something that's broken, I don't sit around and be like, well, who caused that? And like, mm. that's not my responsibility. I don't, I'm not a sidestep of that, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's good, that's good Samaritan parable stuff, right? That's yeah. not my business. I don't know what's going on over there with that dude. Mm-hmm. We're called to be a church. It doesn't matter who messed it up. It doesn't matter who, who broke it. Mm. We're going to be the people of God and yeah. we're going to make it right. And yeah. I think that there's an individualistic aspect that has strength and beauty to it as an American. I will acknowledge that, but mm. there's also an Achilles heel. Oh, yeah. And we have to For note sure. that. 
and and we have to reckon with it and again not go to extremes man so. you like think about what jesus prayed in the prayer before he's going to the cross in john 17 he keeps talking about our witness right and the world is watching like i think i can forget that personally but i think churches abroad can forget especially let me just talk about what's directly in front of me and a lot of the conversations I've had with churches in Portland, we can lose sight that the city of Portland is watching what mm-hmm. churches do and how we navigate these yeah. issues. And where are the people of God showing up who claim to be following Jesus? Yeah. Where are they showing up? What are they saying? Online, in person, wherever. And our oneness, like this man prayed for us to experience the oneness that he and the Father experienced. And he actually believed that that could be possible. Like our oneness is a reality that we just need to live into. And if we don't, like, we're literally trashing on what this man accomplished in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. So it just seems to me like, uh, yeah, this is your house. Roll up them arms and get to work. Because why? The neighbors are watching. And they will come to believe in this man. They say, yo, he, what did he say? Specifically, I'm blanking, but something along the lines of the world will believe that I am who I say I am, basically. That's the synthesis. Once, If they love each other and if they are that one, um, then the world will believe that you sent me, Father. So our, our witness depends on that. I'm just going to keep repeating that. Yes. No. Because yeah. it matters, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah, amen. Oh, let me, okay, yeah. let me just say this real quick. Like the people, the communities in which I come from, had I not seen a body of believers that lived into the way of Jesus, I wouldn't have come to faith. People who come from the black identity cult that I come from or other black identity cults are going, forget that. Why would I subscribe to that way of life if this is what Christians are out here doing and saying? Because the witness is being tarnished because we're not actually doing what we're called to do. If you just just imagine if we just lit, sorry, I'm like not trying to take us off the rails, but just imagine what it would be like if we just obeyed the Sermon on the Mount for a week. Just imagine. What would your neighbors say? What like your literal neighbors, people that live next door? Are to we you. saying I actually obey it, or I don't just hide in my house so that I can mm-hmm. obey it and easily? Yeah, because <laughs> that's the difference. You preaching now? <laughs> it's like you can't obey the commands of Jesus by yourself. Yep. For yeah. the most part, right? There's some things that you do internally, but for the most part, how you love your neighbor by yourself? Please tell me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. and that's just simple. But I, I I think if we could just say, what did this man just say? What does that practically look like for me to live out today? If I just chose kindness today, what would that show to my coworkers at work? Everybody's a minister. We just minister in different spaces. How do you do so at the doctor's office? How do you do so at the school? How do you do so on the bus? How do you do? I can go on and on and on. It's our witness that matters, and it's on the line. Yeah. Jesus doesn't have a plan B. This is it. You know? Yeah, yeah, and that uh, points people back to message one. If you're listening, we 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 talked about is Christ, is the world better off without Christianity? And what we came to is the early Christians walk the talk, mm-hmm. and and we will change the world if we walk the talk. The inverse is true too. When we don't walk the talk, mm-hmm. that's a barrier to faith. People Absolutely. raise an eyebrow, and I think to sum up all of this again, I don't want to speak for you, Haki, but I, I I would say that that when we see a world uh, broken by ra- racism and and affected by racial injustice 
followership of Jesus, let's not sit back and think whose problem it is, who caused it, whether it's tied to some like really weird mm-hmm. like legal theory written in the 1970s and this mm-hmm. and that. Let's just move to making the church what it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. diverse and beautiful and lovely and multicolored and not monochromatic. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we spend, I hear so much conversation about it as opposed to like, no, that's broken. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fix that because it's my house. Mm-hmm. I don't know if if you would agree with that short summation, but I think that's the that's what I hear the heart behind what we're saying. There's mm. a lot of talk and a lot of talk that ends up with no action. Mm. And I think the clear clarion call of scripture is that God's plan from the beginning to end is to uh, through Jesus give birth to the most diverse family on the face of the earth. Absolutely, that's it, and it's beautiful and it's incredible. Mm. And let's get on with it. Yeah. yeah. So how we're doing? We're like you know, oh, question two, we're, and we're, we're doing like, great. You know, Forty minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> Longest podcast ever. I already, already warned uh, the editor that uh, this may be a two-parter. Oh, uh, the old, old two-part podcast. Love it. Today, we'll be continuing our conversation on Does Christianity Oppose Diversity? From our current sermon series, 10 Questions, Exploring Barriers to Our Faith, with John Rosenstiel and special guest Hakeem Bradley.